0: Welcome to the Lewis Jonker podcast. Lewis is a speaker, storyteller, preacher, and poet. Hope you get something out of this talk. This Palm Sunday sermon is called "Expectation Versus Reality," and um, yeah, it's it's on my heart. Expectation versus reality. Uh, one time, I went to Woolworths, and I thought, I want to try something new. I want to try baking. We have some bakers in the room, I know Wendy Sue does amazing baking, others of you, very, very good baking, and I bought a packet, like it should be easy, you follow the instructions on the back, and I was going to make macarons, macaroons, macaroons. So, salted caramel. And this is the expectation. This is the expectation. But the reality of the situation <laughs> looked more like this. <laughs> <laughs> Now all of you understand why I'm so grateful when you drop off food to my house because I can't cook. This is the reality of the situation. Youth group, at the start of this year, I I sat our leaders down and we lost a few leaders at the beginning of the year or the end of last year. and uh, I thought, okay, we've got less leaders. It would be good if our youth group starts to shrink. Because at the end of the last year, we had our biggest night, which was 111. I thought, I ended that night, and I thought, this is too many. <laughs> this is too many kids. You know, it's like you get home from a Friday night, and you just sit down in your seat, and you just stare at the ceiling. That's what it was like, I thought. So I said to the leaders, it would be good if we just kept a simple let's make it simple we'll do free time we'll do some worship songs we'll do a talk we'll do another worship song let's keep it simple and let's see if the youth group starts to starts to shrink a little bit to make it a little bit easy for us but the reality is well last night we had our biggest night again with 112 and I mean yeah you're clapping you're clapping you're clapping but that wasn't my plan that wasn't my expectation Mm. Life stage. I mean life. think about life. Uh, you know what's very dangerous? Googling things like what people of the world have achieved by 28. <laughs> Don't ever do that. Don't do that. you know? And you're looking at Google and there's a list. Some people been to the moon at 28. Like driving a spaceship to the moon. And I'm stuck driving a Subaru to the KFC drive-thru. Expectation versus reality. What happens when our expectations don't match our reality? When the party isn't as fun as it was meant to be, when the relationship doesn't turn out how it was meant to, when the promotion didn't go to the one who deserved it. It's even tougher when our expectations of our spirituality and faith don't match the reality. Jesus, you were meant to save that relationship. You were meant to heal that sickness. You were meant to bring victory to my political party in the New South Wales state election. When will the shooters and fishers and farmers get a chance? (laughs) And it can be so easy to place much expectation on our Messiah on our Savior, on our King, on the Chosen One. It can be so easy to set so much expectation. And the Jews, Israel, thousands of years ago, also placed much expectation on their Messiah. Thousands of years ago, two and a half thousand years ago, prophets, men of old, gifted to foretell the future, prophesied and declared that a Messiah, a saviour was coming. One of them, Zechariah, he said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, prophesying this king that was coming, prophesying this Messiah that was coming. And boy, did the Jews, did Israel have great hope and did they have great expectation. And then 500 years later, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And I think people can sometimes get this wrong. It can be often preached. And in some sense, it's true. You know, they say, oh, Jesus didn't come on a war horse. He came on a donkey. But really, the donkey was the the more special thing to come in on. Because like Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah. He was declaring, I am the king. When he decided to get on this donkey, he was saying, I am the one that Zechariah foretold and prophesied and declared. And boy, did they have great expectation for this king on a donkey. Another example of the donkey, for example, and why this is such a significant uh, animal to ride in on is because when King David was handing his kingdom onto his son, Solomon, he says this. This is how Solomon takes the throne. He says, King David said, Call Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaniah the son of Jehodiah. Just ignore whatever I'm saying there. I went... When they came before the king, he said to them, take your Lord's servants with you and have Solomon, my son, mount my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I've appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Sit on my mule, half donkey, half horse. Like, so it was like this thing of like, the next king didn't necessarily come on a war horse. the next king came on a, on a mule on a donkey on a... and Jesus was saying, I'm not King David's physical son, I'm his descendant, you know the one that's prophesied there's the a Messiah that's going to come from the line of David. So he was saying, I'm on I am the Messiah, but does the Jewish expectation match the reality of the Messiah? I'm going to look through John's telling of this triumphal entry of Palm Sunday. And um, I'm going to look at a few different verses and we're going to talk about what the Jews' expectation was and whether or not that matched the reality of the situation. So, first up, we have this verse from the book of John. John 12. John 12, 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that... Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The next day, this is very important, the next day. in John's gospel, this sto- I mean this story is told in all four gospels. It's a very important story, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, declaring his king. This is a very important story. And in John's gospel, he makes very clear that before this happened, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead, called him out of a tomb and just the day before he goes into Jerusalem he goes and visits Lazarus's house now you can imagine everyone talking about this who is this man that can raise Lazarus from the dead and it says they didn't just come to see Jesus they also came to see Lazarus like is this dude actually risen we need to go and see for ourselves we need to see breath in his lungs we know that guy was dead he was in a tomb for four days we need to see it for ourselves so the next day, after Jesus has done all his miracles with Lazarus, the, the, the people are like enthralled. We need to meet this king. We need to meet this Messiah who raises people from the dead. We need to see what he can do. The large crowd. We know that the feast was coming. We're having a feast tonight, the Passover service. If you have an RSVP, 117 people have. Don't know how we're gonna fit them all in here, but it's gonna be a great service tonight. And much like... Much like in Jerusalem, when the feast comes, well, the room can like double or triple. Like tonight, you know, we put on the Passover and the room's going to be full. It's going to be double the normal size of a PM service because the feast is coming. Same as Jerusalem, the large crowd. So many people in Jerusalem could double or triple during this time of year. And these people, all these people heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. He was big news. They wanted to watch him heal. They wanted to watch him save. They wanted to watch him come in on a donkey. They wanted to see the man he raised from the dead. So much expectation. And so they came out to see him. They came out to look. And so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him. Palm trees, sort of significant. I've always sort of been let down by a few of the explanations of why there were palm branches. I mean, we call it Palm Sunday. There must be some really important reason. Some of the reasons that theologians say is like, well palm branches and palm trees were given to uh, Greek athletes when they, when they won their, their sport. And the victor was given a palm branch to wave. Or well, we say things like we know not just from the Bible, but uh, throughout history, they're used to celebrate kings and conquerors. And this starts to make sense, like calling in your king and your conqueror. But I did some more study. And something that really captivated me yesterday when I was studying this passage was this idea of something we don't talk about much in Christian, uh, in Christianity, but which the Jews do talk about a lot, and that is the Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire in 164 BC. There are two books, the books of Maccabees, Maccabees 1, Maccabees 2, and um, we, don't call, we don't put them in our Christian canon uh, so they're not biblical texts, but they are Jewish historical texts, which you can learn a lot from, and they're worth a read. In fact, the Jews; uh, these books are very important to them, and it's these books that they get their idea of Hanukkah from. So the Jews celebrate Hanukkah when we celebrate Christmas, and they come from the Book of Maccabees. It is a historic historical fact that's good to read to learn about the history of the Jews, the faith that we are grafted into. We should probably take more notice of the Jews. So. The Maccabean revolt against the Seleucid Empire. Israel, Jerusalem, captured by the Seleucid Empire, which I think is like, uh, it's like the Greek Empire at the time. In 164 BC, a man called Judas Maccabees, and he was a priest in Jerusalem, and he decided he was going to lead a revolt against the Seleucid Empire. So Judas Maccabees, he's going to lead a revolt and he's going to take down the Seleucid Empire and he's going to take back Jerusalem and he's going to clean it out of all the evil and he's going to take it back for Israel. That's what Judas Maccabees is going to do. So he does it in 164 BC. And if you read the book of Maccabees, it says that after he leads his revolt against the Seleucid Empire, he makes a triumphal entry into Jerusalem And to celebrate Judas Maccabees coming in to Jerusalem, they wave palm trees and branches. It's almost like a direct correlation. So the Jews would have heard this story of Judas Maccabees coming into Jerusalem when he gets rid of the Seleucid Empire and cleans out Jerusalem of evil. And they know the story of the people waving palm branches for this conqueror who's going to clear out the evil empire. This blew me away. They would have known that. They're waving palm branches for the next person who's going to set them free. Because as we know, Jesus wasn't just riding into a Jewish city. He was riding into a Roman city. Israel was under Roman control. The the Romans were keeping watch, were charging tax, were putting limits on their spirituality. And the people of Israel wanted freedom. They wanted a revolt. They wanted a great high priest who was going to come and set them free from the evil empire. That's what they desired. And so they waved palm branches like, just like, They cleared out the Seleucid Empire. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and clear out the Romans. But I wonder if their expectation was met. I wonder if reality matched their expectation. These people wanted a conquering king. And they cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. It's sort of like a Greek word that comes from two Jewish words, so it's sort of hard to read in the concordance because it basically means save, we pray. Save, we pray. Messiah, King, Conqueror, save us from the Romans. Save us this of course is quoting a psalm you may not know that but psalm 118 says lord save us lord grant us success blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord this is what they were quoting and you know what else it says in psalm 118 i took triumph on my enemies all the nations surrounded me but in the name of the lord i cut them down you see this they're not just saying, "Oh, Lord." They're not just saying, "Lord, save us from our sins." They're saying, "Come and cut down the Romans. Come and get rid of our enemies. Come and take charge." You know, they're ready for. You see, they're ready for a revolt. You see their expectation of what the Messiah is going to come and do. I feel like I've told less jokes in this sermon. I apologize, but I want to tell you the truth. Expectations of the Messiah. They wanted a war hero. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted a restorer of a nation. Jesus, Messiah. He comes in on a donkey saying, I'm the guy you've been waiting for. All your expectations, I'm the one you're expecting. And this is what they want. They want Rome gone. They want their temple back. They want to pay less tax. They don't want to be surrounded by evil. They want their culture restored. They want it all fixed. They want the oppression to stop. A lot of times in our Christian faith, because of the music we sing or because of, because of the ways that some people teach, sometimes this can be what we expect, a war hero, a conquering king, a restorer of a nation. You might read the Psalms, God, cut down my enemies. Maybe in your prayer time you're going, come on, God, cut down my enemies, because <laughs> that's what the Psalms say. When Pastor John was here, he was talking about music in, like, churches, and um, some of our songs can be very war-focused. I'm trying to think what the song was, um, but it was like, it was a very, like, it was military-based. It was like a military-based analogies in the music, and he was like, sometimes the music we sing can give us the implication that Jesus wants war, and so we sing songs about Jesus fighting our battles. And these are beautiful songs. I love singing them. But it's important to remember that Jesus doesn't fight battles with a sword. It's important to remember. Because this was the reality of the Messiah. It wasn't political salvation, but spiritual salvation. Not to restore the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. He wasn't coming to put on a crown of gold, but a crown of thorns. And not to fight with swords, but with sacrifice. This was the reality of the Messiah. Grant, would you come and minister with me? In other parts of the story, in other Gospels, they tell it differently. John, John they all seem to add little bits of different detail. And it's beautiful. Perhaps if you've got time today, you can read the story of the triumphal entry in all four Gospels. It's very short in all four Gospels, very easy to read. And so I'd recommend that because every story re- reveals a new glimpse. And in some of them, it talks about uh, how the people came and they laid down their, their uh, cloaks, their robes on the ground so that Jesus' donkey didn't get dirty feet. And I thought, what a, what a beautiful image. This person they have so much expectation for so much expectation and they've been praying and one commentary I said read and I don't know if this is too true necessarily but they were talking about how their garments their cloaks they have their talits on it you know it's almost like it's a cloak slash prayer shawl and you can imagine the people praying the Jews praying Israel praying God, send us our Messiah, set us free from Rome. God, send us our Messiah, send us, set us free from Rome. They're still praying for that now. You know, they want their temple back right now. If you go to Israel, you go to the Wailing Wall. It's because like the Muslims have control over the temple. And so Jews go there day and night with their prayer shawl and they put their head against the wall and they block out all distractions and they pray and they pray, God, give us back our temple. God, give us back our temple. God, give us back our temple. God, give us, they're still doing it today. And that's what they were doing back then. Messiah, come and give us back our temple. And so they're praying with their prayer shawl. You can imagine the king comes and they're like, oh my goodness, our our prayers have come true. Our prayers have come true. And so they don't need their prayer shawl anymore. So they can take it off. They can take off their garment. They can humble themselves. And they're like, you know what? The one we've been praying for, the one we've been praying for, the one we've been praying for, come. But Jesus doesn't get rid of Rome. Rome. In fact, he goes to the temple and he starts to, well, clear out the evil from the temple. He starts to correct the Jews. He doesn't seem to correct the Romans. And the people saw, they wanted to see miracles. They wanted to see Lazarus rise from the dead, but Jesus doesn't do another miracle recorded after this point apart from cursing a fig tree. And in fact, the one healing he does do after this moment is of a Roman soldier who gets his ear hurt you see it's amazing and so their expectation wasn't met but on a much deeper truer level it was beyond their wildest dreams they couldn't even comprehend it and when their expectations weren't met a few weeks later a week later They're crying out, not Hosanna, save us. They're crying out, crucify him. Crucify him. He's not what we wanted. They couldn't see that he might have not been what they wanted, but it's what they needed. And I don't know what you think you want, but perhaps Jesus is here to give you what you need. So I make my macarons. I'm even saying that word right, macaroons, macrons and because I thought it was hilarious I probably posted that photo on social media or something and at the church I was at a time there was a new guy coming along and he was a chef and he must have seen the photo and he thought oh this guy can't cook, he was a brand new Christian. His wife had been praying for him for a long time. He'd been to church a few times and he saw the photo and he's like, you know what, come to my commercial kitchen and I'll teach you how to make macarons. So he invites me, I would have been 20, 21, 19 maybe even, just a young kid. And uh, I go to his commercial kitchen after it's all shut up for the day. and We start making macarons. I tell you what, he was a good teacher. Turns out he didn't just want to make macarons. He had a lot of questions about God. So we sat there cooking macarons talking about God which blew me away because I was like why does he want to speak to the you know the 19 20 21 year old why is he speaking to me maybe a 19 20 21 year old with passion is what people need in this world so God had a plan for my macrons youth group it's growing I'm tired what's going on our leaders we have less leaders now come on God give us a rest we need our ratios better what are we going to do Grant what are we going to do But maybe God has a plan. A young person on Friday night, now I don't trust everything young people say (laughs) by any means. So take this with a grain of salt. But they came to BAM camp, had an amazing experience, and they came to church for the first time um, last week in the evening. They actually brought their family along. And I said, Oh, I'm sorry I missed you. I was away last Sunday night. And they said, Oh, it's so weird. I can't sleep now without listening to the audio Bible playing. It's like, Whoa. This young person, has their life changed and now to sleep? They need to put on the audio Bible. Maybe God's got a plan. And, well, I haven't been to the moon at 28. (laughs) There's a few things I'd wish I'd achieved by now. But i got enough faith to know God has a plan. And God has a plan for you. So if you have this expectation of the Messiah that he's going to come and make your political party win or he's going to do the exact healing or he's going to do, I believe God can work in mysterious ways and do all those things, but I know this more so. He has bigger things in mind. He's not concerned with political salvation, but spiritual salvation. He's not here to restore the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God. He's not a king that wears gold, but he wears thorns. And he doesn't fight with swords, but with sacrifice. That's our king. That's our king. That's our king. And so I'm here to tell you our king, he came riding on a donkey. And he doesn't always give us what we want, but he gives us what we need. And when we, our expectations aren't met, well, that's not a time to give up. It's not a time to go away. It's a time to remember, ah, what is he actually trying to do here? He's saving us in ways we can't even comprehend. And you're probably all in this room because you already know that. I'm not your priest, but I would love to pray for you. God, I pray for everyone in this room who has so much expectation and so much desire for their Messiah a deep, a deep hunger to call out, save us, God, a deep hunger to call out, uh, Hosanna, a a deep hunger to acknowledge you as King, a good, a deep hunger to lay down our, our cloaks, a deep hunger to wave our palm branches, God, I just know there's so much desire in this room and so much expectation and God, I pray that you would meet expectations in ways that we can't possibly understand, but God, when you don't, would everyone in this room Realise that the reality of the situation is much grander, is much more beautiful, that there's so much at work, that there is greater things to come, that there is a purpose and a plan for every single person in this room. God, would you open our eyes. Jesus, we acknowledge you as King and we pray you would come and do Your will, your way, in Jesus' name.